everybody. Welcome back to Abby and the Mustangs. For today's interview, we are going to be speaking with Camille McCutcheon. I have been following her on Instagram for a very long time. Her Instagram is Camille's Mustangs, and so whenever I started my Mustang account, she was probably one of the very first accounts that I began to follow. So I'm really excited for us to get to talk to her today. I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself, um, and so we'll just get started right now. So, Camille, welcome to the show. Um, To start off, would you like to just kind of introduce yourself, who you are, and how you got started with horses? Sure. So, my name is Camille McCutcheon. I am a Mustang trainer located in Bryan, Texas. Um, I have always been a horse girl, uh, but when I was younger, I didn't have a horse really to fill that that gap in my life (laughs) so I grew up I always wanted to do stuff with horses but it kind of seemed far off um I tried to you know get out there as much as I could I went to horse camps and eventually started taking lessons I got my first horse when I was 16 and um worked with him every single day uh but Sadly, after six months, he passed away suddenly. So that was pretty, pretty devastating. And from there, I kind of, uh, kind of didn't know what to do next. I knew I wanted to continue working with horses, but um, I didn't want to do it the same. I wanted to do something different from what I was doing and something different from what most people were doing. So I kind of uh, started looking out there at different disciplines, different breeds, and Eventually, I settled on the Mustangs. I kept coming back to the idea. I'd known people who had done the Mustang makeover, and that always was just the coolest thing ever to me. So uh, I adopted my first Mustang when I was uh, 17, and she has been with me almost four years now. Um, That was Aurora was my very first Mustang, and she's still with me. She's one of my lifers. And (laughs) since then, I kind of caught the bug. you can follow what I do on uh, almost every social media platform. <laughs> Not really. I'm on I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube as Camille's Mustangs. If you want to look more into it, but ever since that first Mustang, I've just been looking for more and more ways to get involved with the Mustangs. Well, cool. Yeah, and I have been following you for probably about two or three years, I want to say. It's been a while. Um, I follow your Instagram, yeah. your Facebook, yeah, and I'm subscribed to your YouTube channel, so um, that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been like a longtime stalker supporter. Um, so. What was the first horse you started following with? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Aurora. Um, yes, I'm like almost positive because then I remember when you brought home, um, what is her name? Tuxedo, um, as well. Yeah. So your other horse. And then I followed your entire journey with that one gelding that you had, Jude, um, which was probably my favorite horse of yours. I almost wish that you would have kept him because I wanted to keep watching his progress and stuff. Um, but obviously, obviously we understand he had a home and stuff, so... Um, he was a lot of people's favorites. I yeah. think everyone was sad to see him go, but he's actually with some very, very close friends. They're actually more like family to me, so I get to see him fairly often yeah. anytime I'm in town. So when picking him out, I mean, because I, was he a part of your gentling um, package, or was this before you had kind of concocted that whole business plan? This was way before. Okay. So he... Um, he was kind of a summer project. It was that year um, that we didn't really have a Fort Worth makeover. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was 2019, and I'd been planning on doing the makeover, um, and government shutdowns happened. Everything got pushed back. Um, so they didn't have a summer makeover that year. Um, so I decided I'd go ahead and adopt a project, and... Um, along the way, I found out about the Extreme Mustang race, and mm-hmm. I realized he was eligible um, to compete in that. So I um, applied on like the very last day possible to apply for that competition, <laughs> and we ended up going and placing sixth, which was super, super fun, really good experience. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you, where did you get him from again? What facility? Paul's Valley. That's Paul's where I've got Paul's my Mustang so far. Okay, and that's in Oklahoma, right? 
Yes. Okay, so is that generally where most people around, I guess, Texas and those surrounding states, they all go to Oklahoma because that's like the closest holding facility, right? Yeah, that's the only one even nearly close to us. Wow. Um, Unless there's like a satellite event. Like Mm -hmm. they used to have Mustangs for adoption at the Mustang makeovers. They bring wild ones and put them in like the cattle pens. And that's where I got tuxedo actually. Oh, okay. um, they don't, I don't think they do that for the Mustang makeovers anymore. At least they haven't for a year or two. Right. Um, and there's, there's usually a few events every year in Texas. Right. And they did, they've done something similar too here in Arizona with our tip challenges. They used to, um, the Florence, we have a, a holding facility in Florence, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, that facility, they would come down and they would actually bring their um, prison trained saddle train horses um, to the uh-huh. event for people to adopt. And unfortunately, I don't think they had a lot of um, interest in the horses. I know that me and my mom, we ended up adopting one of them. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, we had her for a while, but it wasn't really, um, we didn't really click or anything. So I ended up rehoming her to a, a roping home and they absolutely love her. Oh, that's um, awesome. But yeah, so it's pretty unfortunate because there are a lot of good saddle train horses from that facility, but um, there's just yeah, not too many interest. That. They've started doing that um, at our satellite events as well. Mm-hmm. And they actually, they didn't go for like a huge amount of money, but they actually had a lot of interest, which was really great to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, because I feel like <laughs> there's a lot of like almost flops in some events that we have here in Arizona, which is unfortunate. I think that the Mustang interest here isn't as high as it is in other places. Um mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure why that is. I'm hoping, you know, with more events that we hold here, more people will become interested because our tip challenges are very successful. I mean, there's plenty of adoptable animals after the tip challenges here and stuff. So, um, but anyways, back to back to the topic here. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask, um, what discipline now do you find yourself kind of gravitating towards? Um, are you all across the board or do you have just like one set discipline that you're kind of training in right now? Um, what are you doing with that? So I've been doing the ranch horse uh, shows in my area for a couple of years now. Um, I show my two personal Mustangs, Tuxedo and Aurora. And we have a lot of fun at those. It's a really good community. But um, I think Tuxedo could go a couple different ways. We might even end up taking the straight-up reigning path or also throw some English stuff in the mix. Recently, she's shown some, like, really good uh, aptitude for hunter jumpers, which is way more expensive (laughs) than what I do currently. So I don't know if we'll go that route. But she's just a horse of many talents. And we also, with Tuxedo, I do a lot of tricks and liberty type stuff. So I'm hoping to one day be able to perform and show that off as well. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen videos of you guys doing your tricks and stuff. And you, I don't know if it was um, Tuxedo or I think it was Aurora that you were riding completely tackless. And you were doing like circles and stops and stuff. Um, what horse was that? That was Tuxedo. Oh, that was Tuxedo. Okay, that was so cool. And she's she's still pretty green, isn't she? I mean, you just started riding her, like, this year. Yes. So it's it's technically been a little over a year since I started her. Mm-hmm. But we did, like, not even 10 walk-trot rides at the end of last year because um, she was still young. And then we didn't really hit it hard until... I got back from the makeover this year. So about February is when she really got going under saddle. Gotcha. So whenever you take your horses to shows, I'm assuming there's obviously probably a lot of um, quarter horses at those shows as well. Um, Do you ever get like weird looks or do people come up to you and ask you about your Mustangs? Um, Sometimes. It really depends on the shows I'm at. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I did a TQHA, so Texas Quarter Horse Association show, um, with my Mustangs a couple of years back, and it was not fun at all. Oh, no. Um, because it was all quarter horse people, all pleasure horses, and I just went because I didn't have any other shows to go to at the time, and I wanted to get Tuxedo out 
she was still like half wild at the point, but I wanted to show her in a halter class and we ended up winning because we were the only two-year-old or she was a yearling, I guess, at the point. Um, she was only under two grade mare, so we won. <laughs> um, but she was so wild at the point. And, I mean, I couldn't even pick up her feet at this point. So they were just caked in mud. Oh, no. And I definitely got a lot of weird looks for it. So I, I don't go to any of the quarter horse stuff, really. Mm-hmm. But the range horse world is very friendly, very inclusive, and uh, most people kind of know my Mustangs there. Um, like people come up to me and be like, Oh, I know this horse. I watch your YouTube video <laughs> and I'm terrible with names and faces. So I'm like, yeah, kind of like <laughs> not along. Like, I don't know if I know them or not, but I've got a great community there. And, um, there's, there's, I mean, it is mostly quarter horses cause that's what the ranch horse really is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pretty inclusive overall. Well, that's great to hear, definitely. I wish that we had um, something closer to where I live. I live in Yuma, which is like the way southwest corner of the state. And obviously, we're really far away from like the central Phoenix Valley. And that's where all the big shows and stuff go on. I don't mind driving three hours to go to a horse show. um, But it does kind of suck when I have so much here that I have to take care of to take a whole weekend trip is like a lot to leave behind. Um, Uh But that's really cool that you're able to get your horses out and stuff. I'm hoping that with Coronavirus, um, hopefully slowing down with, you know, all of the regulations and things that horse show associations will start to open up again. Um, because I know everything's like closed down and virtual and I am really bad with like technology, which is perfect because I made a podcast, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's fine. So, um, where I was going with that was, do you ever, um, have you noticed, I don't know if you train outside breeds of horses. I guess I should ask that first. Um, I I have, yes. Okay. So do you. People know me for the Mustangs, but I have Mm -hmm. trained a good few other breeds as well. Okay, what what breeds did you train? Um, when I was younger um, and, like, still taking lessons and stuff, I, I wasn't paid to train, but I volunteered to work the, you know, like, the barns, more difficult horses for right. experience. Yeah. Um, and I work with um, quarter horses and Arabians and thoroughbreds. So I have experience with all of those. And then um, this year I've also worked with um, – quarter horses and um a missouri fox trotter which was really fun oh cool and those are that's a gated breed isn't it yes so and how it, was it that very weird to get used to but very <laughs> comfy that's cool. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what to do if someone put a gated horse in front of me. I'd, I'd be, uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure what you want me to do there. But um, so, how would you say that the mustangs are different from like domesticated horses? Um, they are like I heard someone say this once, so I can't take credit for this phrase. But um, they are like uh, other horses have like a GED in uh, communication, whereas Mustangs have a PhD in communication. They are very <laughs> great communicators, um, which can get people in trouble if they're not, you know, paying attention to what the Mustangs are putting out there. But they're great communicators. And once you get that trust completely built, there's really nothing they won't do for you. Yeah. So I want to ask kind of a more technical question um, because I'm sure that there are a lot of like beginner um, Mustang people that are listening to the show and I really want to help put out some more education for people to, um, you know, learn from and hear. And I think a lot of people would love to learn from you. So what are some, I guess, okay, so talking about communication with the horses, um, diving into say like dangerous, uh, danger indicators when gentling a horse, what would you say are some indicators or some signs um, body language, I would say, from horses that you really need to know um, to keep from getting hurt? So um, some of the some of the things that I see that, um, you know, you probably see this too on the internet. You watch other people's Mustang stuff and um, you see some indicators that they don't pick up on. Um, like there's there's been some videos that have kind of gone viral on YouTube and whatever of people getting hurt working with mustangs and the horse just gives like a million different signs that it's it's being pushed too hard or it's it's uh 
it's testing the human's boundaries. And Mm -hmm. some of the things I see in those videos are, um, nipping at the hands, um, and people are like, oh, they're, they're playing or whatever. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's a difference between a horse, like lipping at you, trying to smell you and check you out and like trying to get you to back off a little bit, trying to test your boundaries. Um, another one I've seen is when a horse kind of, um, not so much turns away and leaves and hip comes towards the human, but when the, um, the horse's hip comes at the human and it's not just for them to turn away and walk away. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a very good describer, (laughs) but that's another one I see that people let slide is the hip coming at them. Um, and the horse is really kind of putting its fists up, trying to um, test your boundaries or see what you're going to do next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also and- see another one. I mean, a big one that I have seen quite often is um, horses. I, I guess I want I almost want to call it flooding, but I'm not sure if this is another example of flooding, but where they'll have um, their Mustang and they just keep moving forwards, moving forwards, and they're waiting for the horse to take a step towards them or to look at them or whatever. And this horse is literally in a corner, you know, going back and forth, trying to look for a place to escape. It's like you've already reached their threshold. If a horse is mm-hmm. looking for a place to run away or to jump over your round pen fence, odds are you probably have pushed it too far and then there is a dangerous situation not just for you but for the animal as well yeah Um, yeah absolutely if you've got them backed into a corner and they're kind of weaving back and forth looking for a way out they will come over the top of you if they feel pressured enough oh yeah they will run right over you to get out of that corner yeah absolutely and then the other thing um you talked about with flooding is um ambassador my most recent mustang project is a good example of this he's more of a stoic horse Mm -hmm. and so is jude actually um to where they'll kind of sit there and they'd rather they'd rather stand with like their legs locked and just frozen in one spot and just accept whatever is happening to them and sometimes i see people take that as a sign of like oh okay they don't mind what's going on and they keep going keep going keep going and then eventually that horse just snaps and can't take it anymore so um that's another sign is being um attentive to whether your horse is frozen in one spot because they're locked up and they're just trying to you know sit there and take whatever's happening or if they're standing in one spot because they're relaxed and they're okay they realize what's going on isn't hurting them yeah, absolutely. And I think a good thing to piggyback on that idea is to is for people to know the signs of relaxation. I mean, there's I think there's like five or six of them. Um, there's uh-huh. frequent, frequent blinking. Um, their ears aren't just straightforward. You know, they're kind of listening to things around them, moving back and forth. Um, a back leg sitting uh, kind of relaxed. That's a sign of relaxation. Licking and chewing. That's like the most basic one. Um, uh-huh. A deep breath well sigh. Breathing. Yeah, breathing. Yes, uh-huh, sure. breathing. Because a lot of horses, if they're holding their breath, you can pretty much, you know, pr- see that that is not relaxed, you know. So um, that would be good for people to know, too, when you're training your horse. If, if they're just standing there completely frozen in place, like you said, that's not that's not going to be a good situation for anybody once he reaches, he or she reaches right. their, you know, point of, okay, that's enough. Yeah, and one of Ambassador's telltale signs, too, is he'll pinch up his lips, and you can just see the the tightness in his face around Mm -hmm. his eyes and around his lips, and when he lets that go, you'll see, like, the tension leave his face, and then usually he'll start licking and chewing, because I say it in one of my videos, it's like us, when we don't like something, but we're going to sit there and take it, we kind of clench our fists, and once, once that scary thing is over, we let them out. We might open and close them a few times and stretch our fingers and wiggle them. That's kind of what I equate it to in, um, like, human behavior terms. Yeah. Is what's going on when they start licking and chewing. 
Mm-hmm. That's a good parallel. And two, if you use um, positive reinforcement, which I use a lot of positive reinforcement, I like to use that as a tool as well to in, to use as an indicator of where their thresholds are. Because if you go out and try this, give your horse a handful of alfalfa pellets or whatever, and you go to kind of a scary spot on their body they don't really like for you to touch, you'll notice they'll stop chewing. Oh, and then absolutely. once you, yeah, once you take your hand away, they usually start chewing again. So I like to use that to my advantage. Um, and that, you know, goes along with, you know, the facial tightening. That's the same thing. They're like, whoa, okay, we're getting to an uncomfortable place now. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good trick, actually. I've noticed, like, Brutus, um, he's come a long way, but he, he didn't used to, I'd, like, stick food in his mouth. And he'd sit there and not chew on it, and then I'd walk away and he'd start chewing. But that's a, that's a good idea is to start introducing that and then see where you get to the point where he's no longer comfortable. That's pretty pretty smart. I never thought of doing it that way before. <laughs> I kind of learned it by um, uh, who who had pointed it out to me. Um, I think it was Mustang Maddie when we were, um, I went to her first Liberty Clinic. That's when I first learned about Liberty and, or anything. Um, and mm-hmm. so my Mustang mare, Lana, she had stopped chewing and she had pointed out, she's like, notice how she stopped chewing. She's no longer relaxed. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And sure enough, it worked for, you know, a number of horses that I've, you know, tried it with. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, um, wish I could credit that idea to myself. Unfortunately, I'm not that smart. <laughs> but... I don't think anyone gets ideas solely from themselves. Right. I mean, Mustang Maddie probably learned a little bit of that from someone too, although she is a very smart lady. Oh my goodness. Yeah, very extremely smart. Um, I... I admire her drive for to further her knowledge. I mean, just hearing her talk about all the school that she had went to on top of the different types of animals that she learned from, I was like, okay, lady, I can only focus on horses at one point, and you're over here working with dolphins. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. props to her. Um, but I was – oh, so tell me more about um, – what is his name? Ambassador. That Mustang is absolutely beautiful. Let me tell you one thing. Whoever, did the adopter pick him out or did you pick him out? Um, he kind of had some horses that he ran by me. Mm-hmm. And um, before the bidding even started, we talked about which ones were going to, you know, pull a lot of bids. Um, there was a blue roan mare that he really liked, who was absolutely like my dream horse as far as like looks go. And I told him that's probably going to be one of the most expensive ones. Um, and she sure enough was. And uh, more than that, she was kind of a little bit more hot mm-hmm. um, temperament wise than we were looking for. Whereas, um, for example, Ambassador's video, there was someone in like the middle of this round pin filming from their perspective. And he was just like loping around and he was calm and he was off the wall. So he felt comfortable Mm -hmm. um, enough around this person that he didn't have to like hug the fence and slam into it. um, As you see in some of the horses videos. And I, I picked up on that pretty much immediately and said, this might be the temperament we're looking for. He's got a great build. Um, he's, he's pretty proportional overall and he, he definitely is a looker as far as color goes. Yeah. I mean, the hip on that animal is, he's beautiful. Very good choice. Definitely. So if you were to say, go with a stranger to the holding pens, what would be your advice to them about picking a horse? So most of the people that I anticipate going through my program are going to be um, beginners mm-hmm. to the Mustang world. Mm-hmm. And I would just recommend, um, you know, pick the horse that you want for the job that needs to be done, but also pay attention to which ones are um, coming up to the fence and checking out the people um, versus the ones that are like hugging the back fence and like snorting and terrified. Um, a good, a few good indicators of horses that might be easy to train. You know, there's never any guarantees, but right. they'll be walking around calmly. Their head will be down. They'll be smelling stuff. They won't have, you know, pricked ears and like wide eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, they might even come up to the fence and like smell your hand. Those are some pretty good indicators. 
Yeah, definitely. And then I like to, um, some good advice I was given by my good friend Annie, who um, runs the storefront here in Arizona, one of the storefronts here in Arizona, uh-huh. um, is she she says, I like to um, pick them apart from the ground up. So she starts at the feet and then just makes her way up. Um, and Smart. I thought that's, yeah, I was like, that's kind of cool because then you, you also look at, you know, the, I guess the structural integrity of the animal, um, making uh-huh. sure that they're not, you know, going to be pigeon toed or, you know, they have one cocked, you know, leg, whatever one's all messed up. Cause a lot of times, uh-huh. um, that actually happened to me with this black mare that I, I have, um, she's massive from devil's garden. And so whenever they had unloaded them off of the trailer, um, I had noticed that her back hawk was extremely swollen. So I figure, okay, she's in this trailer with like 13 other horses. She probably got kicked. It's probably not a big deal. Turns out it's, you know, like a a bone. That's like a calcified bone in her hawk, unfortunately. She's still sound, though, lucky for me. Um, But who knows if she'll hold up for when I want to start riding her. Um, So Uh it's definitely good to check that they're going to be sound for the job that you want to do. Like you said, that's really smart. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so you, so is that horse ambassador a part of your, um, gentling package? Yes. He is the first one to go through my gentling package. Cool. Do you want to kind of explain, um, what that is to the listeners in case there's anybody who wants to send, um, or who wants to get a horse and do your gentling program, what could they be looking forward to? So the package is um, 30 days to start. You can sign your horse up for more training, but the initial fee covers 30 days and it's designed to include everything that you need for your horse without you even having to think about it. So it's super beginner friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, The way it works is they put a deposit down and um, we go up to Paul's Valley on one of the adoption days. They have adoptions every second Tuesday of the month. And I'll help you through the application process, make sure all the paperwork's in order. I'll kind of be the personal adoption consultant. Um, (laughs) And you've got me there to help you pick out a horse that's going to be right for you. And um, once everything's sorted, you've got the horse. Um, There's usually like a little bit of bidding that happens because it's gotten a bit more competitive at Paul's Valley. The adoptions have become a lot more popular. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, once you get the horse for you, we load it up and um, it covers the fee covers the cost of transportation back to my training facility, feed, hay, board, um, the horse's first dental exam, because I like to get that done really soon with any mustang that comes through my barn Uh and um, the horse's first barefoot farrier trim. Very cool. At yeah. the end of 30 days, you can either pick up your horse and let the BLM know that you've moved locations with the horse because the horse is in your name, but they still need to know what location it's at, mm-hmm. um, or they can sign their horse up for more training. Wow, that's very cool. Very smart idea, too. And I wish you the best of luck um, that you find more success with it because, I mean, that, that's very, very, very smart. How long did it take you to kind of conjure up this business plan of yours? So I started thinking about it about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I didn't have the right facilities. Um and I just didn't quite have the time to do it. So um, I moved this summer and built my own Mustang pin from scratch and started working on this idea a lot more. And um, I uh, got with uh, Ambassador's Adopter, and um, we made a plan. He actually adopted Ambassador off the internet adoption. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's... that is unusual or going to be unusual for my program. Um, it's a lot simpler to just go up to Paul's Valley and pick one out rather than waiting. Um, cause Paul's Valley is way behind on getting those horses out. So we had to wait in the end about four months to pick him up. Mm-hmm. So wow. uh, not very good for a business plan to have to wait that long. Right. But, yeah. Um, I've got a long wait list now for my program. Um, and once I graduate, that's the next step for me to be able to take in more horses and uh, really see this see this program out to 
its fullest potential. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, that's very cool. And like I said, good luck. I hope that you find success with that. Of course. And have you ever, um, were you ever a tip trainer at any point or anything like that? Yes, I, um, for the 2018 Extreme Mustang Makeover, I did um, the option of where you can pick up two horses and um, put one through the tip program and um, compete with the other. So Mm -hmm. I did a tip horse that year, but I haven't really done it since. Oh, okay. Well, very cool. Um, So do you see yourself doing any future Extreme Mustang Makeovers or another Extreme uh, Mustang race in the future? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to um, doing Oklahoma this coming year in 2021, if everything pans out correctly. Yeah, right. With the way that this year is going, we can only hope at this point (laughs) that things go the way that they're supposed to. Nothing's for sure. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, So what would you say is the most challenging thing about um, the Mustangs and training them? Um. You never know quite what you're going to get. So um, they're all very smart, even the difficult ones I've worked with. Tuxedo was one of the most difficult to come to trust me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once that all her walls came down and all the fear fell away, like she's a super intelligent horse. But the tough part sometimes is when you get the ones that are, wild in all caps and, right um, they just take take so long to chip away at that fear and kind of build up some trust and break down their walls so sometimes they just they just need to go at their own pace and uh, tuxedo was a, like that and now um, brutus one of the projects i have right now is like that so he's he's just taking a sweet time and you can't really you can't really make a uh plan for him as far as time goes like I can't say oh I want to have him started by x day Mm -hmm. because it's just not going to happen until he finally comes to trust me yeah definitely what are your plans with him he along with Julius I adopted um this year with the help of a sponsor so um the idea was adopt them, give them as much time as they need to become gentle and good domestic citizens, <laughs> and then um, put them up for reassignment. So Julius is currently going through the reassignment process. I think I found the perfect home for him. Oh, good. And um, Brutus, just whenever he's ready, he'll be going that same route. But it'll probably be a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you feel that the Mustang community um, is headed in the right direction? As far as, like, Mustang owners and such? Yes, especially, yeah, with the more, I feel like it's a little more, um, Mustangs have a little more of a a public presence now. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of that, do you feel like we're headed in the right direction, or do you feel that um, there's a lot of, because there's a lot of people who do not believe that the BLM is doing the right thing, Um, Mustang advocates are trying to keep the horses out on the range. Um, What are your thoughts on, on that? So as far as us Mustang owners, we are loud and proud about our horses. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Every single person I know who's owned a Mustang is, you know, like putting the brand on their cars and their <laughs> coffee mugs and going out to shows and saying, like, look at my Mustang. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. As far as, like, um, the naysayers of the BLM go, um, I really think everyone in any, you know, conflict or situation, whatever it may be, not just pertaining to horses, should really try and seek out reliable information. Because I mm-hmm. think a lot of the things that these Mustang advocates are um, working with are like biased information and like they're getting their information from www dot save the mustangs.com you know instead <laughs> of seeking out some actual reliable sources mm-hmm. i wrote a paper this semester for one of my biology classes and um we could choose to write about anything so of course i chose mustangs and their <laughs> um overpopulation uh-huh. and the issues that come with that and 
one of the requirements for writing this paper was that we are supposed to only use peer-reviewed scientific journal articles. So the articles that we are looking at are pretty much guaranteed to have reliable information and um, they're, you know, you can't just put anything in a scientific journal. It has to go through reviewing processes and it has to be correct information whereas if you go to like i'm making up this website www.savethehorses.com you know they can put anything on there without any consequences they Mm -hmm. can straight up lie on their website because it's their website yeah whereas all of the journal articles i read supported what the bureau of land management is doing Mm -hmm. and supported the fact that these rangelands are in need of maintenance and um they should be taken care of because you know mustangs are pushing out species of um that are actually native mustangs aren't native to these lands but they're pushing out species of pronghorn and uh all all the life that's out there is suffering because of it Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i think it's a really good point too to make um to like you said check your sources be sure of where the information is coming from that they're credible. I remember seeing this was like, I want to say it was yesterday or the day before yesterday. Um, the New York Times had actually put out an article. For some reason, the New York Times thought that they um, would put out an article about the wild horses and uh-huh. they were citing another article or I think it was a website that was saying, okay, the farmers are saying, okay, the horses are pushing out all of the native species. When we went out there um, in the beginning of the season, we saw, you know, it was lovely it was okay there was a lot of feed out there um you know like the native um plants and things that the horses eat and then when they went out at the end of the season the horses had completely made the land barren I mean there was not anything in sight for anything to eat and they couldn't put their cattle out on there and then the New York Times responded with something like uh so the farmers and the cattle are the reason that the horses have to be taken off the land and it's like that is so ridiculous that you can even say that after putting this cited article I mean they just look ridiculous it was just one ridiculous. Of, one of the articles I read pointed out that um, it, it wasn't even an article about mustangs. It was an article um, studying the effects of cattle grazing versus um, other herbivores, including horses. And mm-hmm. the study found that the way cattle graze, they actually promote um, further growth. They don't tear up the entire plant. Um, they they promote it to produce more and um, mustangs and other like miso herbivores, they, when, um, when they're overpopulated and there's not enough grass, they will dig down and tear up the entire roots of the plant and consume the entire plant so that nothing can grow back and cattle don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, Everyone exactly. loves to point out, Oh, the cattle there. That's why the BLM is rounding up that's just complete nonsense if you Mm -hmm. really get down to the facts. Yeah, and what I think people don't understand as well is that whenever cattle, or I'm sorry, whenever farmers want to put their cattle out on the land in the first place, they can't just do it whenever they feel like it. They have to get specific permits, permission Mm -hmm. from the BLM, how many cattle they can put out there for how long they can have their cattle out there. And some, in some instances, it has happened several times to farmers. BLM says, no, I'm sorry, you can't put your cattle out there this year because there's not enough forage for them to you know, keep the land okay or whatever the reason is for them not letting the um, farmers put their cattle out there. So they're not the problem because BLM has, you know, the ability to tell them, no, you can't have them out there in the first place. Um, But, you know, they're they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, because, um, you know, that's how social media is with anything. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. But um, yeah. Do you line, think... don't get your facts from Facebook. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> right, whatever whatever website sounds good, whatever tugs at your heartstrings, more oh, than likely. Yeah. And then don't forget about the donate bottom. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Donate here to uh like there was I won't say exactly what um um 
organization this was, but I found this. I know this. You, who you're you, talking You'll probably know probably. exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, so they um, they were talking about how cattle guards, um, the ones that were put in place in this specific herd management area, how they're dangerous for the horses and that the horses w- will be stepping on them and they could possibly get stuck, break a leg, or worse, whatever, whatever. So mm-hmm. this organization had gathered all of this money before they even got approval from whoever is in charge of the cattle guard, I guess, to install a new cattle guard that is supposedly horse safe. So while they have the donate button and the, you know, the dollar amount at the bottom just keeps rising and rising, they're like, we're still pushing for approval. I mean, you gathered money for something that you're not even allowed to do yet. That blows my mind. So it's just very scary because if I had donated my $20 to that, where's my $20 really going? So right. Yeah, you have to be careful. A lot of these people will scam you because your emotions got the better of you and you, you know, donated your your money to them. So Right. And we all want what's best for these mustangs. Mm-hmm. They are a very emotional symbol. They're, you know, packed with tradition and mm-hmm. they're beautiful. So I can I can see why people fall for these schemes, but mm-hmm. Better information out there, people. Do your research. Yeah, and there's better there's better places and organizations for you to send your money or to send your, um, you know, your right. whatever it is you're going to send to them, you know, because it's right. just like the Mustang Heritage Foundation or Bureau of Land Management directly. If you donated your money, you know that those people work directly with the horses themselves. Yes. You know that the money is going to be going towards exactly that. The Mustang Heritage Foundation is an amazing place to donate. Yeah, um, absolutely. Everyone I know who works there is just absolutely committed to these horses. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're creating real solutions through mm-hmm. the TIP program, through the Mustang makeovers. You know, they're not just donate money so we can bring these um, Mustang families back together or whatnot. Right. They're yeah. actually implementing change. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And in turn, because of these um, so-called Mustang advocates who want to keep the horses out on the range, how is that going to benefit the horses in any way? If there's a barren land that they're living on, you're supporting horses starving to death. I mean, how is that better for them rather than them coming in? They're they have vet, uh, like they can have vet care. They can have farrier care. They can um, be fed, watered, and then they have the opportunity to go to somebody's home where they can have a job and actually have, you know, a meaning to their life other than sitting in a pen or starving out in the desert. Um, Right. So, you know, what you got to pick and choose. What are you going to um, decide to do with, you know, your your resources that you have. So I think this has been a really good conversation. This is going a lot better than what I thought. Um, I'm glad that we're able to cover all of this. I'm glad. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just marking things off of my list here. So overall, I think a good... um, I think what we can agree on is that wild horses definitely should not be out left on the range. Um, So I had something to go with that um what do you think not that without management that is yeah yes exactly think, not without I think management think the goal of the blm is to just eradicate them forever take them all off the public lands mm-hmm. that's not the goal the goal is for there to be um enough lands for the um for the horses to be supported out there and, yes um not have them overflowing they don't have anywhere to go when they graze all of the all the forage for them in one area, then they start crossing highways and getting hit by cars and moving into neighborhoods. And they just, people don't realize they don't have anywhere to go once the food runs out. Mm-hmm. Yes, They exactly. starve or they, they get stuck in fences, they get hit on the highway. They just, there's nowhere for them to go. Mm-hmm. Especially with all of the man-made structures that we have now. Horses can't naturally migrate anywhere because, um, uh-huh. like you said, they're blocked by highways, barbed wire fences, um, urban, uh, what do you call it, like businesses and houses. Yeah. yeah, communities. Thank you. I can, I can figure out what That's that word okay. was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, definitely. So what do you think, personally, is the greatest lesson that you've learned from um, being involved with the Mustangs? Uh, probably... 
probably the value of perseverance. Oh, you know, yeah. I got I got my first Mustang and I didn't I thought I had training experience and you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. So I kind of jumped into the deep end there and um, there were a lot of times where it looked like I was stuck and I'd have to give up. But if you just keep showing up and putting the work in, eventually, you know, you'll see some results. And the same thing for how far I've come since then with having land in my backyard to be able to wear courses on and be able to do so much more. You know, it's just baby steps at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a great lesson for others to learn as well. You know, that change and progress doesn't come, you know, in an instant. It takes, you know, it takes time. It's like stacking paper. You know, you don't notice, you you know, how tall the stack gets until your, you know, thousandth paper that you put on there. And then you realize, oh, that's a big stack you've got there. Um, yeah, that's a really yeah. good analogy. <laughs> yeah, so um, I definitely can relate to that to that as well. Um, I wanted to ask, too, who are your kind of favorite trainers that you like to keep tabs on or get advice from? Um, and it's not just Mustang-specific. It can be, you know, any breed uh, trainer. Um, I can't think of anyone outside of the Mustangs right now. <laughs> that's but, fine. Um, people I really respect are um Nate Iker um and Bobby Kerr I really love watching them compete um I've, I've seen Nate compete a few times and then um Bobby Kerr with his Mustang act and then again at the makeover this year mm-hmm. um they just have not only such excellent horsemanship skills but just so much class yeah you know and there was a moment um, when Bobby Kerr won the makeover and he won the magic. There was a moment at that competition where um, I think it was Stormy was interviewing him um, in the middle of the stadium. And uh, Bobby Kerr just got so choked up talking about how the Mustangs have changed his life. And uh. I'm telling you, like, the tears started flowing. <laughs> like, he was crying. I was crying. I don't think anyone in the stadium wasn't crying. It was right. just so beautiful. So I just, um, I love, like, watching trainers who are honest and, you know, take care of their horses and um, just everything about like those two especially it's smooth and it's it's without any resistance and their horse is just like happy to be doing what they're doing and I truly like get a lot of inspiration from that yeah that's definitely something to strive towards is when we don't have to yell at our horses we can actually we can become horse whispers you know you can just barely whisper to them and they're happy to do their job that that's definitely a goal for me um and Bobby Kerr I love that guy too so I totally agree with you um I think what's also cool about him is that not only um I guess this does go along with the class thing but he's not too big for anybody like he will he will talk to anybody and have a conversation and actually care you know about what he's talking about um a lot of times like I have such a hard time you know following certain people because you can just tell there's kind of they have that kind of cocky aura about them and it kind of puts you off click following them around and they don't stop to talk to anybody yes yeah that's what I really appreciate about people like Bobby Kerr is right after he won the magic um his dogs were sitting in you know his Mustang car yeah um right outside the arena and kids were coming up and like petting his dogs and like he was giving out autographs he was taking pictures with people and he was letting the kids sit in his car and whatnot it was just so cool to see a man so humble right even when he's had so much success yeah definitely and I had I was so lucky um I am actually the Silver Spur Rodeo Queen here in Yuma so I'm a rodeo queen which Uh we didn't really get to do much this year because of coronavirus but in February we did have our rodeo here in town and I couldn't believe my ears when they told us before that our um our act for our rodeo was going to be Bobby Kerr I literally stopped and I was like hold on say that again who is it yeah so I got to meet him and um he brought all of his Mustangs and I had taken my little Mustang mare down to the rodeo grounds because I wanted her to get exposure and stuff Uh and so I was riding her around in that arena 
Luna and he was parked right next to it. And I was so nervous because I was like, oh my gosh, like he's going to see me. Like, what do I do? My horse, she better be good. Like, I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, and later on that day, I was on my other, my queen horse. And he was like, hey, I saw you riding your little Mustang. She looks really good. Oh my gosh, probably the best day of my life. <laughs> I couldn't believe my ears. I was like, oh my God, Bobby Kerr's talking to me. Um, I'm totally yeah. like a fangirl, but just such a nice guy. Such a nice guy. So easy to talk to. Um, totally makes you feel at ease. So yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites too. I'm glad we could cover my um my obsession with um, him oh, and his yeah. horses. <laughs> Is it possible to adopt someone as your grandpa? Right. That's what I do. <laughs> Seriously. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, so before we go, I kind of wanted to know um what are some of your goals for um 2021 um pertaining to your horses and your training program? Oh, I have so many goals. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, currently, um, my next goal is to get a big working round pin set up at my place. I'm pretty close to achieving that one. Um, after that, I'll be saving again to put in some client horse stalls so mm-hmm. that client horses I get coming in can have their own space, their own, you know, hay net water bucket and shade protection from the elements um so that's my biggest goal for when I graduate and I'll be looking to start taking in um like five to seven client horses monthly including the horses that come through my gentling package I'm hoping to be able to um consistently keep mustangs coming through my barn um ambassador is going to be around for a while but um hopefully some new ones can join as well yeah definitely well that sounds great um and do you plan on do you have any shows that you're looking forward to coming up in the next year besides I know you said the Oklahoma one um any others besides that one yes that's probably the biggest Mustang show I'm looking at mm-hmm. um I'll just keep getting my horses out and about in the local ranch horse shows I want to do some uh, schooling shows with tuxedos, some hunter jumper stuff, um, this coming year to see if she'd be good at it. That's another thing I'm looking at. But other than that, no, not really any specific shows. Okay. Well, everybody can keep tabs on you on all of your social media platforms. And is it the same all across just Camille's Mustangs? Yes, they're all Camille's Mustangs. Oh, I forgot to say this, too. I haven't um, announced this anywhere yet, but I am also now Camille's Mustangs LLC. I submitted my filing a couple weeks back and got approved, so now I'm officially a business. (laughs) Well, congratulations. I'm honored that you wanted to announce that on my podcast. So all of you guys are the first to hear about it. You better feel special. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah you better you better keep up with Abby and her podcast because it's pretty cool thank you I appreciate it so before we end is there anything else that you wanted to add maybe some advice to the listeners or a message you wanted to share um I've said this already but truly perseverance is the biggest thing um no matter what your goal is whether it's horse related or not um the biggest I've always had a lot of perseverance but the biggest lessons I've been learning this year are to take things one step at a time and realize that it's a marathon not a sprint as far as getting my business up and going and building a client base and being able to finish school Um, you just have to set goals for yourself and uh, make sure everything's in order take things one step at a time and you know be be in for the long haul Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Camille, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This was an awesome interview. Um, I'm excited to share it with everybody, and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your holiday season and the rest of your day. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Of course. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Just a quick heads up for all of my listeners that this will be the last episode for this month um, and for the rest of the year until the 8th of January is when the podcast will return. So between now and then, I'm going to be speaking with some people, gathering some episodes together, and then we should be able to jump right into the new year. Um, I hope everybody has an amazing rest of their holiday season, no matter what holiday that you're celebrating. Personally, me and my family, we are celebrating Hanukkah. Um, This is like the fifth day of our holiday. 
Um, but I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you all so much for the support that you've shown me in my podcast. Um, I'm excited to get back into it on the 8th of January. I will see you guys then.